Well, today we're going to start a new series, and it's, it's a really important series for all of us. We're talking about make great decisions. You know, all of us make decisions all day long, but some decisions are more important than other decisions, and some decisions have greater consequences than other decisions, don't they? And, and this whole series kind of was given birth from you, as so many series here at our church are. So many of you have recently talked to me about making some big decisions in your life, some with vocational changes and some with, with medical decisions you have to make and financial decisions. And, and, and so I got to thinking, you know, well, what does God's word have to say about making decisions? You know, the Bible is our guidebook for life. You realize that? Everything we need for life is in the word of God. And if we'll just study it and we'll go to it and, and we'll... we'll We'll reflect upon it and we'll embrace it. You know, God gives us guidance for every area of our lives. And so I thought, well, let's go to God's word and see what it says about how we can make great decisions. Mirror.com, a British uh, newspaper, did a study and said the average person will make 773,618 decisions during their lifetime. Now, I don't know how they came up with such an exact number. But they go on to say, and we'll come to regret some 143,262 of them. Now, we can, we can identify with that, can't we? How many of you can identify with the fact that you made some decisions you wish you had a chance to make again, huh? Well, all of us have done that. You know, the problem with making poor decisions, the problem with making the wrong decision, the problem with making a bad decision is this, that consequence, consequences of bad choices can really take on a life of their own, can't they? And they can be very limiting in our future opportunities to make choices and our future opportunities in life. For example, you know, we, we can choose to disobey the traffic laws of our land. We can decide, well, I don't want to go 45, I'm going to go 85. and I don't want to stop for that red light, I just want to go through it. I, we, we can choose to do that. But if we choose to do that enough, and we get enough tickets... We end up before a judge enough, what's going to happen? That judge is going to take away our license. And we're not going to have the privilege of driving anymore, right? Now, that's one thing in itself, but then that complicates every area of our life, doesn't it? Because now what are we doing about it getting to work? And now what do we do about getting to, to, to this event and that event? See, it can complicate our whole life. So the consequences often of many of the poor choices that we make take on a life of their own. And they can limit our future financially, vocationally, relationally, spiritually. And so it's so important that we learn how to make great decisions. Now, there's some myths about making great decisions. Some people think that you have to be specially gifted to make a good decision. You know, I, I, I guess some folks, I think there's still a bunch of Solomons running around today who, who are blessed by God with wisdom beyond the normal person. And, 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 well, they're just blessed by God, and they have a gift for making great decisions that I don't have, and I guess I'm never going to have. Myth. Not true at all. Others say that you have to be unusually brilliant to be able to make great decisions. They're saying, you know, good decision maker, you know, you have to be a graduate of MIT or Harvard or, you know, they're just some people who are so much smarter than I am. I'm just not smart enough to make a good decision. Not true at all. Others say, there's some hidden secrets to making great decisions. 
You know, there's some folks that, you know, conspiracies about everything, you know, and there must be some decision Illuminati out there or something like that. And these people have discovered the secrets of making great decisions, and that's why they make always great decisions. Now, there's no secrets to making great decisions. Some would even say great decision makers make great decisions every time. And that's false. That's false. No one makes great decisions every time. Everybody has had bad choices. Everyone who has made, everyone's made bad decisions from time to time. But here's the deal. We can limit those bad decisions that we make. And in response, subsequently, let's complicate our lives. And that's what we're talking about in this series. Dr. Charles Foster in a book that he wrote called, What Do I Do Now?, said this, great decision makers are not specially gifted, they're not unusually brilliant, they don't know secrets, they care about making great decisions. That's the difference. He said, poor decision makers really don't care about making great decisions. And then he gives this analogy, which I love. He says, what makes losers losers more than anything is that they make decisions the way a cork in the ocean decides which way it's going to go. They are totally controlled by the haphazard forces around them. They make bad decisions because they really don't care about making decisions. In other words, he said so many people end up complicating their lives so much because of of a history of poor decisions. And the reason is, is because they just kind of go through life floating like a cork on the ocean. Totally at the whim of the current of the ocean or the wind or whatever happening that day just make impulsive decisions and they really don't stop and use a process. They don't have a strategy for making great decisions. And so that's what we're going to talk about the next several weeks, about formulating a biblical strategy. And why do we formulate a biblical strategy? Because we're people of God. Now, there's plenty of... of, of, uh, teachers and psychologists and and business marketing people and business professionals who will tell you how to make decisions, and we'll use some of their information, but what we want to do is make sure that whatever we're doing is anchored in the Bible, right? Because that's our only true inspired source. That's the only source that comes from God. That's the only way we know what the mind of God is in all of this, And it's not just some philosophy of some author, some philosophies of some business professional. Because, you know, the psalm says there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to what? Death. See, it leads to destruction, leads to chaos, it leads to negative consequences. And so, again, what we're going to look at now is we're going to look at a biblical format, a biblical strategy for making great decisions. And so does that mean we're going to make every decision from here on out is going to be a great decision, a positive decision? No. But I, I guarantee this. If we will embrace this, this strategy, we'll far less complicate our life because we'll be not just like a cork in the ocean. We're going to have a strategy. We're going to have a format. We're going to have a plan. And by the time we make a decision, we'll have confidence that it is the best decision that we can make at that moment with the the information that we have and with the leading that God has given us. So you ready to become a great decision maker? Okay, all right, two of you are. Now how about the rest of you? You ready to become a great decision maker? All right, okay, here we go. 
For Christ's followers, the starting point in all great decision-making is God. Now, I can't emphasize that enough. Now, now listen, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand this about yourself. You're a child of God. You're not like a person who has not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. God has a much more intimate, active role in your life than he does in the life of an unbeliever. Not because he, he doesn't love them. It's because they don't love him in the same way that we love him. And so, therefore, the advice that he would like to give every human being walking on planet Earth, whether they're in church or whether they're out of church, God loves everyone. Those who are unbelievers, those who are unchurched, aren't willing to, to listen to it. They're not willing to apply that. Now, here's the first decision we've got to make. We've got to make the decision to be different and to embrace what God has to say about it. And that all starts with the conformity tests. Us, whenever we have a decision to make, especially an important decision. Now, I'm not talking about whether I'm going to eat toast or oatmeal in the morning, okay? I'm talking about important decisions. I'm going to take the conformity test. And what that evolves around is what is God saying? It really kind of centers around two different questions. What has God already said? And what is God saying right now? All right, so when considering any important course of action, here's what you're first going to do. You're going to embrace the conformity test, and you're going to ask yourself, first of all, am I conforming to God's revealed will? Am I conforming to his revealed will? Psalm 119, 105 declares this. The psalmist said, your word, in that time it was Old Testament, so it's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. He says, God, your word, your revealed word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And, 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 and trust me, it really is. If you'll use God's word the way he intends it to be used, it'll light your path. God will guide you in these important decisions that you need to make in your life. And he'll help you to become a strong counselor to help other people make important decisions in their life. How many of you have sons and daughters, you worry about their decisions, huh? Grandchildren, you worry about their decisions, right? See, now, now what you're going to do is you're going to become a world, biblical worldview decision maker, and you can pass that knowledge on. When we ask the question, am I forming to, re, conforming to God's revealed word, what we're really asking is, what has God already said about this issue? Because God has said a lot about a lot. The Bible is filled with what God has said about life issues and about life choices, and it's filled with illustration of people who made the right decisions and people who made a bad decision and how their lives turned out. The Bible is a treasure. Fall in love with it. Read it every single day. So what has God already said about it? Let me, let me use one passage of Scripture to illustrate just an area of life that people all the time make poor decisions in. 2 Corinthians 6 Verses 14 and 15 declare this. This is a New Testament book written by the Apostle Paul, and he's writing it to believers who are living in the city of Corinth. It's the second letter that the New Testament lists of them. He says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? That's a name for Satan. What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Here's the premise. Here's what God inspired Paul to write to, to you and me. 
He's saying, listen, you're not an unbeliever. You're a different person now that you've trusted Christ. And he says, don't be yoked up with unbelievers. Now, where this happens all the time in the lives of single people. There'll be a gal, let's call her Alicia. And Alicia has met a guy at work, and oh, he's handsome, and she couldn't believe that he even asked her out, because he's just like everyone in the office, all the single women want to go out with him, and finally he, he asked her, and she's going out with him, and, and they're just having a great time on all their dates and, and all that kind of thing. But he's an unbeliever. God doesn't have any part in his life. And she is a devout believer. She loves God, and she believes his word, and she's trusted Christ as her Savior. And all of a sudden, one day, one of the coworkers come and say, hey, hey, Alicia, I found out something. Tonight, on your date, Roger's going to pop the question to you. Now, she got a big decision to make. Who you choose as your spouse. How many agree that's a big decision, huh? Now, what, first thing she needs to do as a believer is, what has God already said about this? What has God said? He said, don't do it. And not only does he say don't do it, God's not trying to be mean. God's not trying to be limiting. But how many of you know, have known couples who got together who were in love? Because when we get married, we're always in love, aren't we? That's the starting place. It's love. But then we get into reality. And we're still in love. But reality gives another dimension to our relationship. How many have known couples who were unequally yoked together who had disastrous consequences? See? And I mean painful consequences, right? Painful. See, God's trying to help us avoid that. That's one area. Well, how about people getting into business? And I've counseled so many people in this situation who are a believer, man or a woman getting into a business, and they're getting into business with partners. But their partners aren't believers. That's a big decision, who you're going to get in business with. Why? Because it's going to determine what values your business is written by. It's going to determine the ethics of your business place. It's going to determine so many things about your business, who you hire and what your philosophy of business is and what your business strategy is, what your boundaries are. And you get in with a bunch of unbelievers hoping that they're going to do the right thing. And I could sit here for the rest of the morning, I could tell you story after story, business after business, Christian person, getting in with an unyoked bunch of people who've had disastrous consequences, and many of them whose names have been ruined. I can tell you of a man I knew personally who was a multimillionaire, got into business with some unequally yoked unbelievers, and because of them, this man, godly man, good man, couldn't read or write, was uneducated. Had dyslexia as a child back in the day when if you had dyslexia, they would tell your parents they'll never be able to learn anything. Well, he ended up going to prison because of deals they had him sign. He couldn't even read the paper. He just trusted what they were telling him. See, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And they're, they're, anytime we're making a decision in our relationships, who we're hanging out with, something as simple as that. You know, you know trust me, if you're running with the pigs... You're going to start rolling in the mud. See, what has God said about these things? God made it clear. Don't do it. He's not being limiting. He's not being cruel. But he's saying don't 
do it. Now, God has said so much about so many things. You already made a decision tomorrow based on the word of, or today, on, on the word of God. You decided to come to church this morning. And, and I know some of you, when you woke up this morning and it was a little cool and it felt so good under those covers, and you, you said to yourself, you know, I'm not going to go today. I'm just going to sleep in today, you know. But you decided to get up and come to church, and you decided a good thing, because what has God said about that? Well, God says in the book of Hebrews, he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourself together as some are in the habit of doing. It's important to come to church. It's important to praise God. It's important to hear his word. It's important. It's an important part of our life, and it's a decision every time the house or the doors of the house of God are open. See, in a little bit, we're going to have an offering. Everyone's going to make a decision about whether to participate in that offering. Well, what has God already said about that? Well, God said, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse, see? It's a decision that we make. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, I'm not like you. I didn't go to seminary, and I didn't go to Bibles, and I don't know the Bible, and, and how can I know what God says about all this? Oh, it's so easy today, and it's ridiculous. How many of you are into computers? You, you know how to use a computer. Okay, most everyone does today. Well, here's a couple free computer programs that you can download on your computer that will help you to just type in a subject, and it'll show you all the verses in the Bible on that subject. How easy is that, huh? How easy is that? Now, now there, there are limits to these programs because they are free. But for Windows users, there's some, and there's some for you Mac users, there's some there. Now, if you want to invest a little bit of money and go a little bit deeper, and I would encourage you at some point to do that after you get a little familiar, here's some other programs. That, that uh, Accordance uh, for Mac is Accordance Bible Study. Uh, it starts at 49.44. Make an investment in making good decisions. Now, you can go up to $2,000 too, but that's for like really deep biblical scholars who are in the languages and all that that you're not going to ever get into. PC Study Bible for Windows starts at $37.95. That's, it's, it's a great investment. Now, some of you say, I, I don't use computers. Some of you say, I, I'm not a computer person. Uh, I like the books. Okay, well, that's fine, too, because you can get a topical Bible. And here's a couple of examples. Nave's topical Bible. It, it'll look up, and, and you'll say, man, I'm making a decision about finances. And, and you look up the word finance, and it'll show you all the scriptures in the Bible that talk about finance. Or I, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a friend who's committing adultery, and I want to reach out to them. You look up the word adultery and list all the verses in the Bible that talk about adultery. Whatever it is, it'll list them. And there's another one, John MacArthur, Topical Bible. It's another one. They're out there. They're not very expensive. You make the investment. Why? Because it will help you to understand what God has already said about the decision you're about to make. Now, let me tell you why this is so important. Because the culture that we live in today is putting tremendous pressure on us to make the decision that is contradictory to what God has already revealed every day. I see some young folks out there today in this first service. And let me tell you, you're going to face this much more than I did when I was your age. And much more than many of these folks here do when you're age. You're facing a culture that is, is being very aggressive about trying to get you to make decisions that are contrary, that are in direct opposition to what God has revealed about life and about ethics and integrity and value. And so you really need to embrace this. All right, the second part of the conformity test is this. Am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit? Now, first of all, I've said, am I conforming to God what God's already said? Now, we're asking the question, what is God saying right now? Listen, God is alive. Understand that about God. 
God's not a, a, a historical character. God is alive. God is eternal. And just as God manifested himself in the lives of people that we read about in the Bible, he's still doing that today. He's still doing that. Uh, Willard Smith, one of my friends, uh, I was telling me about his pastor and a couple guys from their church uh, went out to a, uh, on a fishing trip. And they went out on a fishing trip, and I won't give you the long version, I'll give you the short version. Well, they made a mistake, and, and the guy said, my GPS, it was getting dark, and they needed to get back in. He says, he says, this way, and the pastor said, he said, no, it's that way. I remember when we came in, it's that way. He said, but the GPS says this way, pastor. He says, no, trust me, it's that way. So they went the pastor's way, and they got hung up on a sandbar. Well, I mean, they're out in the middle of nowhere, hung up on a sandbar. And so the pastor said, well, I got us in this mist. So he jumped out of the boat, and he tried to push off that sandbar, and he just sunk down in, in that sand. And he came out, and finally the guy said, I guess we're spending the night on the boat. And so they said, hey, we're forgetting something. Let's pray. And, and so they got together, and they prayed. And, and, I, and I'm telling you this story. As they, as they told it to me, all of a sudden, a wind kicked up and just rocked and blew that boat, and that boat floated right off that sandbar. See, do you believe that was an accident? No. God is still active in our life, folks. I've seen it in my life. Many of you have seen it in your life. God's alive, and the Holy Spirit is still part of our life. Acts 16, 6 through 10 gives us a great biblical example of following the voice of the Holy Spirit. Paul, again, one of the most dramatic converts to Christianity. First, his name was Saul, and he was persecuting the Christians, putting them in jail. Even some of them were dying for, uh, because of their belief in Christ. And now he, he, he himself believes in Christ. He's had a, a personal appearance with Christ, and, 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 and Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and now he's an ardent believer. And Acts talks about the foundation of, of the early church. It's a New Testament book. talks about how the church got going as we know it today. And so in one place, Paul's now going to these different Gentiles' nations telling them about Jesus. And it says in Acts 16, verse 6, he says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now look what it says. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now that sounds odd, doesn't it? They say, hey, let's go to Asia. We'll preach the gospel over there. Holy Spirit said, nope. That's weird. Well, it goes on to say, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to do that either. said, no, can't go there. So they passed Mysia, and they went down to Troas. Now, they're, they're going around, and all the time, they're, they're, they're talking to the Holy Spirit. See, they're talking to God. God, where, where do you want us to go? And, well, we'll go here. No. Well, we're going to go here. No. Now, he says, finally, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. And it says, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. See, even when they were trying to decide what good to do, what righteous to do, in every one of these scenarios, what was their intention? The decision was making, they were making was, where do we go tell people about Jesus? How many agree that's a good thing? All right, so even in the good things that they were trying to make a decision. This wasn't a decision of, oh, should we quit telling this story? Oh, should we go down and get drunk? Well, should we, you know, th this is all good stuff. Holy Spirit said, no, no, yes. Now, now listen. What is God saying right now? You say, well, yeah, but that was the Apostle Paul. These are biblical characters. No, no, no. Understand this about yourself again. 
Don't sell yourself short if you're a believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior. 1 Corinthians 3.16, speaking to every person who's a believer in Jesus Christ, says this, don't you know that you yourself are God's temple and that the Spirit lives inside you? See, that's the immediate thing when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, that God does. He deposits the presence of the Holy Spirit inside every one of us. That's radically different than it was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament days, occasionally God would send the Spirit onto a prophet or onto someone he was making the king of Israel. But not everybody had it. God would just empower certain people with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, since Jesus Christ died for our sins and resurrected, now, every single man, every single woman who trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior is given the deposit of the Holy Spirit of God. He lives in you. Do you understand that? Isn't that great? The Spirit of God lives inside you, is active inside you. John sixteen thirteen, Jesus said this, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, because this is before Jesus had died yet, so not everybody had the spirit yet. Look at he said, he will guide you in what? All truth. Does that include decisions we have to make? Absolutely. Absolutely. So when we're going to make a decision, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to say, what has God already said about this? And then we're going to say, what is God saying now? Now understand this, and don't miss this. God will not contradict himself. If God has said this, the Holy Spirit's not going to tell you something different. If God has said, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever, and you say, but Holy Spirit, I love him so much. I love her so much. This time, you know, the Holy Spirit's not going to say, oh, yeah, you love him. You're really in love. Go ahead and do it. Holy Spirit's not going to do it. Not going to do it. Now, caution. Be careful on this step. Because this is the most subjective of all the conformity tests because it relies solely on what you feel, what you sense. And our feelings and our senses can betray us, right? So you got to be real careful. So as you're doing this part of the conformity test, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, do you want me to do this? Lord, do you not want me to do this? Now, you should do that in very special times and very special places. You should do it during prayer. Not, not, you can do it driving down the street, but don't, don't just do it then. But get aside in prayer and say, okay, God, do you, is this, if I make this decision, do I have your blessing? Or if I don't make this decision, do I have your blessing? God, God which would, and pray. And see, when you pray, then be still for a little bit. Say, okay, God, uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do the conformity thing here. God, I'm going to you about this important decision of my life. And, and so God, speak to me now. Now, then quit talking to him and, and just be still for a little bit and let God talk back to you. He'll do it. Now, all these things I'm going to tell you right now, the more you do it, the more confidence you're going to have that it is the Holy Spirit who's talking to you. I, I know the Holy Spirit's voice. I guarantee I know that voice. And when the Holy Spirit's talking to me, I know the Holy Spirit. Now, do I always listen to it? No, I don't. Because why? Because I'm thick-headed too. But I know that voice. How many know that voice? You know that voice. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. 
And those of you who go, well, I don't know that voice, you can. Because the Holy Spirit lives in you if you've trusted Christ. It's a matter of doing it enough to where you recognize that voice instantly. Do it as you read your Bible. This is when the Holy Spirit talks to me the most. Because can I confess to you, and I have before, that my prayer life is one of my most challenging parts of my Christian life. Now, I do pray, but I'm ADD. Have you ever noticed that about me? I'm all over the place. I can't sit still, you know? And so I'm praying, and I'm praying, oh, God, you know, I'm trying to make this important decision. Now, Lord, I should have used a five iron instead of a seven iron on that hole. You know, I mean, that's just me. My mind just goes. Anybody else have that problem? Is it just me? I know. But when I read the Bible, that doesn't happen to me. When I sit down there and I read the Bible, I read the Bible not just to see words, but to listen to the Holy Spirit speak to me. And every time I read the Bible, he does. He does. You look at my Bible, you'll see passages underlined. And they're underlined, not because I've taught them or I'm going to preach on them. They're underlined because that's when the Holy Spirit talked to me. That's when he was talking to me about something. And see, he'll do it to you. Now, for really important decisions, now I've only done this a couple times in my entire Christian journey. I'll fast while making the decision. Really important decision. I'll go into a fast. I won't eat any food. I'll just drink water and maybe some juices. And that's all. And I'll take it to the Lord. I'll say, God, I want you to see my sincerity and, and the, I, the importance of this decision I'm going to make. God, I want to make the right decision. And I'll fast. And I've fasted as much as seven, eight, nine days before. But let me tell you, the times I've done it, and I don't do it because I believe God has to call you into it. I, can't, I don't think you can do it artificially. And I believe God was calling me in to do that. I was listening to the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, the response was so impactful and so profound that I can't even describe it to you. How all of a sudden I saw things I, I never had contemplated before and pers- uh, perspectives I would have never been able to think of. Verses came to me that I had long read years and years ago that I had forgotten about. But, but God will bring that back, see, as we increase that level of intensity. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of man inside him? See, that, that's a twofold thing. That's our spirit. We know when we're lying to ourselves. How many of us have made decisions we knew it was the wrong decision? Huh? Right? Our spirit told us. I mean, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. I want to do it. I'm not listening. And the Holy Spirit does that because the Holy Spirit knows when we're playing games. The Holy Spirit knows when we're trying to rationalize a situation in our life, when we're trying to rationalize a decision. When God's already spoken about it. The Holy Spirit's already said no. And now we're rationalizing, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And we've all done it. And that's why we end up complicating our lives. So am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit? What is God saying right now? Number three, am I conforming to godly counsel? Godly counsel. Proverbs 11, 14. Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Oh, I believe in this so much. The elders who have served on the board of elders here have heard me say many, many times when we come to making important decisions that I say, I I would not want to make this decision on my own. I, I believe in a multitude of counselors because there's wisdom, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. Because 
When you get godly counselors around you, and I thank the Lord for the elders that we've had over the years, godly men who have, who've been around me and, and, who have, and together we, we've sought God, sometimes with tears streaming down our faces. God, what do you want us to do? God, this is not us. This is so much bigger than us, God. This is about you. And together we'd hash it out and we'd disagree and we'd, we'd this and that and all that. And finally, God would bring us to a place where we, we were united about what decision had to be made. Now, see, the same thing is true in your life. You need to surround yourself with some godly counselors. And then you need to conform to their advice to you. Now, here's another area you've got to be very cautious in. You need to choose your counselors very carefully. I'm not saying surround yourself with good friends. Because are good friends always good counselors? No, they're not. And husbands and wives both know that. A wife, you know, a husband will tick off a wife and she'll go to all her girlfriends and say, that no good husband of mine. And they'll go back and they say, oh, no, no, you should love him and be patient with him. Is that what they say? No. They say, yeah, mine's no good either. And, you know, guys will go down there and say, that witch I married, I can't believe, I don't know what happened. Yeah, mine's a witch too. They're all evil, you know. And, you know, our friends sometimes, they side with us. They're not good counselors. Family members, are family members always trustworthy counselors? No, because they love us, right? And they'll say, oh, you know, they'll know that God has already said something about it, but they don't want to hurt your feelings and they don't want you to be mad at them. And so, you know, I just love you and I know you'll make a good decision. And you see, it, you see them, the Titanic, they're sailing into the iceberg, you know? Oh, I love you too much to warn you about it, you know? I don't want to upset you. You got to choose your counselors wisely. Let me give you some qualities of a godly counselor. Number one, honesty. They'll be honest with you. Honest with you. I love this proverb, Proverbs 27 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy, multiple kisses. Isn't that vivid? Wounds from a friend. So, you know, I've had some friends that have had, had to put their finger in my face and say, Pete, you're wrong. Pete, you're, you're in danger right now. Pete, you, you, you better be careful what you're doing right now. And I love you, and so I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm not going to tell you what you want me to tell you. I'm going to tell you what, what the truth. That's the kind of counsel you need. See, wounds, sometimes you don't want to hear it. Sometimes it even hurts. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. See, everywhere else you got everyone kissing up to you. They're kissing you. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you're smart enough. Yeah, I wouldn't put up with that either. No, I would do that. You Right into the iceberg. And they're not malicious. They're not malicious, but they're not good counselors. See? Spiritual maturity. Huge quality you must choose in your counselors. And your counselors aren't necessarily the, 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 the group you run with and you hang with. Matter of fact, oftentimes they're, they're a totally different group. Does this person know the word of God? Why? The first step in a conformity test is what? What has God already said about this? What does God's word say about it? You need people to know what God has already said. You need that kind of folks on your team. Does this person live what he, she proclaims to believe? You know, make sure it's not a person that, well, you know, do as I say, not as I do. Make sure they're actually living what they're asking you and, and encouraging you to do. Make sure they're making the same kind of sacrifices, the same kind of decisions that impact sometimes what they would rather do something else, but they do what God would want them to do. 
does this person think spiritually? Are they a spiritual thinker? Are they a worldly thinker? Look, look what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they're foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, can an unbeliever be an honest counselor with you? Sure they can. They can be honest with you, and they can say, listen, here's what I see, and I want to warn you, and, 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 I, and I care about you. And, but can, will they know the second part? Will they know the first part? Will they know the Word of God? No, they won't know the Word of God. Will they know the second part, how to recognize the voice of the Spirit? No. Why? Because Scripture plainly says that a person who has not trusted Christ as their Savior and who is not actively building their life of faith cannot give you spiritual guidance because they don't know it themselves. See, you need someone with some spiritual muscle, with some spiritual power. Does this person pray? Do they go to God? Or are they kind of going through life doing it their own way and, and, and impulsively making their own decisions? Does this person have a history of making godly decisions in his or her life? You know, if you look at their life, and, and they've made so many bad decisions, their life is all messed up and complicated, is that the person you want to recruit on your counseling team? No, because they don't have the ability to do it themselves. They need to do what you're trying to do. They need to find godly counselors. They need to conform to the conformity tests. So you need to choose the people on your team very carefully. And finally, am I conforming to God's provision? In this decision, in this course of action, am I conforming to God's provision? Write this down. Where God guides, God provides. That's simple. Where God guides, God provides. Sometimes we make the riskiest decisions. Sometimes we go, I mean, it's okay to take a, a life risk occasionally, but man, that shouldn't characterize our everyday life. Psalm 127 once says, unless the Lord builds the house It's builders labor in vain. The same is true of our lives. Unless God has a part of making our life and making our decisions, we're going to get it all messed up. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stands in vain. Luke 14, 28, Jesus speaking. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? In other words, don't just rush into things. So many of the worst decisions we ever make are impulsive decisions. We're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But listen, God's provisions will never give me a hernia. You know, if I've got to clever my way around and I've got to kick this door open and kick that door open, and if, I got, if I'm, trying to do every, I'm trying to make the circumstances fit, then I, I can be sure that God's not part of that. Because where God guides, God what? God provides. Where God guides, God what? Provides. God's provisions will never endanger me or my family. Now, I'm not saying there's not a rare opportunity where God will lead you to take a risk. That that will happen. But it's not the norm. See, it's not going to endanger you. It's not going to, remember getting involved with those Unyoked business partners, it's not going to endanger you going to prison because of what they might do in that business. It's not going to endanger your family. Jesus said in Matthew eleven thirty, he says, "For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Jesus says, 
Walk with life with me. Do life with me. Make your decisions with me. I'm not going to load you down. I'm not going to load you down with guilt. I'm not going to load you down with regret. I'm not going to load you down with with a burden. I'm going to walk you through this. I'm going to help you navigate this decision. So for Christ followers, the starting place for making any and all especially important decisions is what? God. Now, how many believe that? Okay. Now, here's the question for today. Will you live that? See, it's one thing to put it all down on paper. It's a whole other thing to embrace it in the important decisions because culture is going to try to persuade you to do the wrong thing. Your own rationalizing, wanting this circumstancing, wanting this to be a reality in your life is going to cause you to be tempted to do the wrong thing. You've got to not only know it, you've got to embrace it. So the first thing, you take the conformity tests. What has God already said about this? What has his word revealed? Am I conforming to the voice of the Holy Spirit in this? Am I conforming to godly counsel? Not just counsel, godly counsel. Not my friends, not my family, godly counsel. And am I conforming to God's provision or am I pushing things too much? Am I trying to push that door open and push this door open and kick that one down? If I'm trying to do all that, I'm in, I'm in a dangerous spot. That's where it starts. That's the starting of making great decisions. And God wants to help you to make great decisions. Why? Because God is for you, not against you. God wants your life to be as uncomplicated as it possibly can be. Let's bow our heads. Right now, some of you are, this, this is a timely message for some of you right now. Because you, you've got some important decisions to make right now. And now, just week one, you have some resources that you can use in beginning to make those decisions. They're biblical. Every single one I gave you is not some philosophy of man. Every one of them is biblically based, biblically principled. Now, will you right now speak to God and say, God, help me to embrace what I've learned today. God, I know that it might go against what I want to do. It might go against what's something I really desire so badly. But God, I get it. You're for me. You're not against me. And that's not true of anything else in this world. So God, right now, I'm, I'm surrendering this decision to you. I'm, I'm going to seek your word and find out what you already revealed. If there's something already there, God, I want to know it, and, I, and I'm going to embrace it. Uh, and Holy Spirit, speak to me right now. I'm listening, Holy Spirit. I'm listening to you. Speak to me now. And God, bring to my mind some some godly counselors that I can use in my life. A man, a woman, some men, some women who, who are godly, who are spiritual, who pray, and who I see in their life, they make good decisions. And God, help me not to kick the doors down of opportunity or what I perceive as opportunity. Because God, where you guide, you provide. And I don't have to artificially try to, man, to, to manufacture things to make this work. I just need to wait on you, God. And I promise to do that. 
Now, now let, me, let me tell you right now. The most important decision any human being ever makes is the decision on what they're going to do with God. What they're going to do with Jesus. There's no more important decision than that. Because that decision determines your eternal destiny. That'll determine where you're going to spend eternity. And let me remind you that eternity is forever and ever 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 and ever. I can keep on going. That's a long time. Now, here's what God has revealed in his word. Jesus himself said it in John 14, 6. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's it. It's one way. There's no plan B. It's transferring our faith off of ourself, our confidence, off of any goodness that we may have, and saying it's not good enough. And that's why Jesus died on the cross. He died for me. He died for my sins. Look up at me right now. If you're here today, and you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. You've got a doubt about this decision. <clears throat> After the service, I want you to go back to our welcome center, our resource booth, and there's a, ask them for the little book. Just say the little book. They'll know what you're talking about. The book is called You Can Be Sure. And this little book will walk you through what God has revealed about eternal life, about eternal forgiveness. And, and I would ask you to, to do step one of the conformity test. Take this home. Look, look how short it is. You, you, can, you can read this at halftime during the football game today. Take this book and say, okay, God, I'm looking to what you have revealed about where I'm going to spend eternity. And prayerfully consider this. And it'll even lead you in the book of how you can reach out and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and have every sin you've ever committed forgiven. That's what God has revealed. Ask the Holy Spirit. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit's going to say, this is real. Do this. Because he loves you. Our ushers are going to come. We're going to make a decision. We're going to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Knowing that God is leading us to invest in something bigger than ourselves. He's leading us right now to store up treasure in heaven. And not to store up just treasure here on earth. Father, we love you and we ask you now to use our gifts in a way that reaches men and women for Jesus Christ. God, we love you. And we do want to embrace you as our guide. So Lord, we, we, we give this to you now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.